This is a news update on University of Portsmouth Research, brought to you by Life Solved. Innovative and creative campaigns that address the root cause of plastic pollution and its impact on climate change in the Global South have been showcased at COP26 today. I caught up with Dr Cressida Boer and the team from Revolution Plastics to find out more. Cressida, if you could just tell me what you've been doing today in the Green Zone and why. We've come to COP26 and come to the Green Zone to exhibit in the Green Zone because we want to highlight the links between plastics and climate. Most people probably realise that the life cycle of plastics, including their production, use and disposal, account for anything upwards of about 5% of today's greenhouse gas emissions. So plastic represents a really fantastic opportunity actually to take climate action if we can reduce our production, consumption and disposal of plastics then we can start addressing some of the issues around climate change and aim towards net zero. Plastic is inextricably linked with climate change through other ways as well. So for instance, the presence of plastic in the oceans interferes with the ocean capability as a carbon sink. And the the ocean currently absorbs about 30% of global carbon emissions. So it's almost, if not as important, as the rainforests in terms of a carbon sink. There are other interactions with plastic and the environment, interactions with biodiversity that are going to affect the resilience and adaptability of organisms and communities to adapt to climate change. And there are direct physical links. For instance, when plastics block drainage channels, they exacerbate the flooding that's caused by climate change. We also came here to promote the use of participatory and arts-based methods that we've been using over the last couple of years in Nairobi, Kenya, and a city called Silet in Bangladesh. We've been using these messages to sensitize communities on the issues around plastic waste in the environment and to co-develop with those communities solutions to the problems of plastic waste. Erica, can you explain a bit more about what creative methods are? Creative and arts-based and participatory methods uh, that we use take resources and ideas from the act of theatre making, art making, theatre viewing, and what they try to do is to give an audience an arts experience, a kind of a, an emotional experience that allows them to connect to an idea or a concept on a deeper level. So connecting that to the kind of lived daily experience that a person has through the making of art. And one of the things that we try to do is to actually empower audiences by creating environments for audiences to actually engage with the performance. So you're not just a passive viewer in these uh, creative and participatory methods. So for example, today, when we were uh, in the green zone, the plastic monster that I played engaged with young people, older people, people from around the world, and people were really kind of, you know, scared and nervous, etc. And, you know, so what I would do is I would react to them. We were kind of co-producing an experience that we both shared together. And that co-production is really key 
to creative methods work. You mentioned the total trash monster there. Can you just explain what that is for people who are listening? The trash monster has a gigantic bucket head, uh, makes it probably about five foot seven, five foot eight total, and it's made entirely of reclaimed plastics. There's a plastic bucket, plumbing and piping, children's toys, and then it wears this kind of cloak made entirely of bags for life. Louis Netter, who's a University of Portsmouth senior lecturer in illustration, created the costume. While I was performing in Glasgow as, as our plastic monster, at the same time, in Makuru in Kenya, there was a co-performance of a plastic monster that was made by a community center there. So the plastic monster in Nairobi is basically creatively made by the young people. And the young people have picked different brands that are used every day and how they are packaged with plastics. And these are consumerables, especially for things like milk, for things like soda. And the monster is not only communicating about just plastics, but it is calling out companies that are actually, you know, producing and packaging things consistently with plastics without taking any action of plastic waste. So that is, uh, that is the monster in Nairobi. And then the other good thing is that the monster walked around. It was able to interact with the community and call out that attention where kids could interact with this and also the other young people. So that was the monster in Nairobi. Thank you, Theresia. Cressida, could you just explain a little bit more about how you've used these in the STEP program that you've been working with in Nairobi and Bangladesh? Sure. So we've been working for about 18 months with a community-based organisation in Makuru, Nairobi, called the Makuru Youth Initiative. Makuru is a huge informal settlement in Kenya where over 100,000 families lived in very, they live in very cramped conditions in shacks which don't have running water or electricity and the presence of plastic waste in the environment is chronic and extreme Um, and much of the plastic waste in the environment is burnt actually as a way of getting rid of it so as it's burnt it's releasing all these like toxic fumes and creating a huge amount of air pollution It also blocks up the very rudimentary sewage drainage channels and causes localised flooding. We've been working with colleagues in Makuru to investigate the issues around plastic pollution using creative methods. So we've used things like participatory mapping. We ask a local artist to produce a map of the area and then that map is taken out into the community and local residents can map pollution hotspots. And actually what came out of the STEP project that was that they, there were three or four points along the river which are enormous pollution hotspots. Local artists and musicians had focus groups with the community and they investigated the issues and potential solutions. And then we created a number of outputs, including, for instance, a mural which depicts Makuru as it is now and then depicts Makuru in the future with a good waste management infrastructure. So the river turns from black and full of waste 
to a beautiful blue flowing river with grassy banks. A group of local musicians have created an amazing song to raise awareness around recycling. Um, and that's accompanied by a video which highlights a lot of the problems in Makuru visually. In Bangladesh, our partners are working on a street theatre piece, some recycled plastic fashion pieces. And actually in Bangladesh, some musicians have produced a traditional folk song, but that is about the modern topic of plastic pollution. You've, you've taken all this information and you've been in the green zone today and, and you've been showing the members of the public what you've been doing, the work that you've been doing. Is there a good reception to, to what you're saying? There has been a good reception to what we're saying and the, I think and a good reception to the way we're saying it. So we've, I think we've done everything from kind of, you know, make small children cry uh, <laughs> <laughs> right through to... <laughs> having sort of like quite a few people gathering around and taking photos people handing the plastic monster their own promotional posters and asking the monster to pose with those to help share their messages what do you hope people will who've met you this morning what do you hope that they'll take away me i hope that people will take away the knowledge that plastics and climate are inextricably interlinked and interwoven. Yeah, I think for me, I could see the faces of so many young people when they were looking up at this monster. And, and it was really fascinating to see just how scary I think it ultimately really was. The climate crisis really is a crisis and it really is scary. And I think it's about encouraging young people to, to really be proactive in terms of pressuring companies to produce less single-use plastics in part by refusing to purchase things that are in single-use plastic. These young people in a few years are going to be that wonderful age of, you know, the biggest market that any company wants. Um, they have so, so, so much power that they're just about to come into. Um, so my hope is that these young people will remember this insane monster that they saw today and will take that fear with them into how they understand the climate crisis. There are two things for me. One, that the young people who are going on the streets to demonstrate will understand that change does not happen on the streets. But apart from just advocating for the change that they want on the streets, they need to get on to, you know, following up with the action of being in, the, in those boardrooms, making people understand what this climate change monster is. And then number two, in terms of the governments, I really hope that they will make sure that they make the right commitments, that they can be able to invest in research, proper research, and the young people who are in school to study more about climate change and bring out the solutions. If you look at what the Revolution Plastic just launched the other day, the Global Policy Plastic Center, when we are talking about that, we are talking about solutions. I hope they can be able to see such initiatives and invest in them so that they can bring out the change that they want to see. If you'd like to find out more about the work of Revolution Plastics, visit the university website at www.port.ac.uk.